How many of you guys want to get a good job later in life? Who wants to get paid lots of money later in life? Score. All right, let me tell you some secrets on how to make a lot of money. And there, there, there's actually are some things, some secrets to making a lot of money. There are some things that people will, um, will pay for. And as I was doing some research, I did some research on what careers make the most money. And uh, I discovered there's a really, really great book. We're going to talk a little bit about people skills. Your people skills are ever so important. There's a book, you can get it, there's the bookstore, you can get it at Barnes & Noble's by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. If you've never read it, um, I would encourage you to read it. It should be required reading in every high school. But um, I think it's uh, it's page 24. He gets into one of the first guys ever to make a million dollars a year. This was in 1921 when you could buy a brand new car for anywhere from 370 bucks to 950 bucks, and he was making a million dollars a year. That works out to be a couple grand a day. Um, So Andrew Carnegie became the first president of the newly formed United States Steel Company in 1921 when Schwab was only 38 years old. Schwab later left, he hired uh, Charles Schwab. Paid him a million dollars a year. And he says, why did Andrew Carnegie pay him a million dollars a year? Or more than $3,000 a day? Um, Because Schwab was, uh, not because Schwab was a genius. No, because he knew, not because he knew more about the manufacturing of steel than other people. Nonsense. Charles Schwab told me himself that he made, that he had many men working for him who knew more about the manufacture of steel than he did. Schwab says that he was paid the salary largely because of his ability to deal with people. The best paid people in the world will be people um, that are good with people. And as soon as I say that, especially today um, and to high school, their first thoughts will be, no, nope, it's athletes. Athletes will be make the best money. But I actually, I did a little bit of research on some athletes today. I'm like, all right, who's the best paid athletes in the world? And even among the best paid athletes, many of them make as much or more money by sponsors than they do from their actual sport. They make the money from sponsors when people want to be associated with them. When everyone's repulsed by them because their people skills are so bad, people withdraw their sponsorships. And uh, many of them have done stupid things and lost millions to tens of millions of dollars because people didn't want to be associated with them anymore. Um, Dale Carnegie, he made the comment uh, that the highest paid person, personnel in engineering frequently are not those who know the most about engineering. One can, for example, hire mere technical ability in engineering, accounting, um, accountancy, architecture, or any other professional at nominal salary. But the person who has technical knowledge plus the ability to express ideas, to assume leadership, and to arouse enthusiasm among people, that person is headed for higher earning power. And he just was going over and over in the, like the preface of the book, kind of getting you set with the idea that just being smart, just having a degree from a prestigious college, he goes, isn't everything. And so often in our world today, they just push. You just need to go to college, and you just need to have a degree, and you just need to get good grades. And then you go to get a job, and 
they don't ask you for your GPA, and you're like, but I worked so hard for that. And they're like, great, it got you off money off college. And then what? Then they, they go through, and they're like, well, why can't I get a job? And then they hear this saying that you guys have probably heard before. It's not what you know. It's that's only a half true statement. It's who you know and how they remember you. Because if they remember you as the jerk from high school, and they're like, yeah, that's the kid that used to pick on me. Don't think they're going to help you out. But it is so true that it is not just what you know, but who you know, and how you relate to people. Um, As I looked into the professions that made the most money, on the top ten that it listed, um, not including the sports figures, they were kind of off in their own category, but of like normal jobs, nine out of the top ten were in the medical field. My wife and I had an encounter with someone in a specialty field in the medical field, which is one of the guys that gets paid the most. He's a high-risk specialty doctor. We had one meeting with him, and we said, I don't care if I have to switch hospitals. I will never see him again. We named him Dr. Doom and, and decided that there was, there were, they're like, all right, we will do anything we can not to ever have to see his face again. His ability to work with people cost him a lot of money. Um, our first kid was normal. Our second kid came two months early. I saw one bill, thank God for insurance, that was $100,000. How much of that went to the hospital? How much of it went to the doctors? I don't know, and I'm just thankful for insurance. We spent some, but they spent a lot, lot more. And so we met our deductible, and we're like, thank you, Jesus, for insurance. But how much of that he would have had a shot for? I'm not sure, but we were very sure we never wanted to see his face again because his people skills were so horrible. So how much money did he miss out on in one appointment because he had bad people skills? A lot. Um, and and it's, it's crazy, and it goes around and around, and not only does it affect you, it affects those around you. But our walk with God should make us stand out at school and at work. The better Christian you are, the more you should get paid. You go, why is that? Because employers want people that work hard regardless of who's looking. Employers want people who are trustworthy, who are faithful, who are filled with character, who have a good attitude, who are doing things right at home so drama doesn't spill over and cause problems in the workplace. And the list could go on and on and on of these characters, traits that employers are looking for that the Bible says that if we do things God's way, we should be displaying. I watched when I got in college, all these different people were looking for jobs because the college was 70% international students. So most of the students just moved in. And when you move in, you have to find a job. It's not like, you know, hey, I've been working here since I was in high school. We're all at CC. We've been around forever. And he's like, all right, everyone's international. And we're all going for jobs, and we all have the same schedule. And so that makes it hard because, you know, you get the coffee shop's like, we just had 60 people apply. Like, we, and they all, none of them can work the, these certain hours because you all have core classes. And then everybody can work these hours. We don't need any more people in those hours. And I was like, you know what, God? I, I'm going to trust you. I'm looking for it. And I get a phone call from someone trying to sell me an alarm system. Like, no, I don't want an alarm system. Like, you want roller shutters? I'm like, no, I want a job. Do you have any job openings? 
uh, it was my boss. And so they transferred me to my bo- her, their boss, set an appointment the next day. Turns out they were within walking distance, walked over there, showed up, got an interview, got hired the next, um, they asked me to start, but at the end of the interview, it wasn't like, you know, we'll get back to you. It was like, hey, how soon can you start? All right, great. And I started and I worked there for a little while, and there was lots of opportunities for my attitude and for my work ethic to shine through, to see how do I work when no one's looking? How do I apply myself? Am I just working at the rate that I figure it's worth by what they pay me? Or am I working unto God regardless of what they're paying me? What kind of an attitude? How do I talk to the people around me? Do I bring the atmosphere up? Do I bring the atmosphere down? And after a short period of time, my boss asked me, do you know any more people like you that we can hire? I think I got 13 people jobs. Because in my two years working for that company and its mother company has made some shifts, they said, we want more of you. And so I went to cut through college where everyone's like, I can't find a job. I'm like, come if you want a job. I can get you a job. All right. And like, like, you can give me a job? Yep. And several of them didn't keep the job because they didn't uh, have the best attitude because they didn't have a good work ethic because they get in and they didn't like, like uh, my first year with them, I spent telemarketing and they were like, this sucks. I call people and they cuss at me. Yes, it happens a lot. But statistically, you should be able to get a sale out of every 30 people you talk to. So when one cusses you out, just hang up and call the next one. Because statistically speaking, out of every 30 connections, you will get a sale. And so, um, or sorry, 30 connection, every 30 connections, you'll get an appointment. Every four appointments, you'll get a sale. And so you, they had kind of your statistics and we just would rock through. I just rocked through this. There was one day I made 142 calls or 144 calls before setting an appointment. You're like, ah, this was a bad day. But you just keep rocking it out. You're like, all right. Just through. And you had a little sheet where you had to keep track of your calls. That's why I actually remember it because you had it, like on the top, you had, all right, I got connected over here. You circle it and put an A over it. If you got an answer machine down here, you cross it through. And um, if it, it wasn't connected, if you didn't get any kind of an answer. And, and but the, the point is this, that they saw something different, and they wanted more of it. And it allowed me, A, to be blessed. They offered me a different, um, more opportunities as I went. They offered, I got lots of bonuses, which those are all great things. But it also allowed me to shine my light for Jesus. My boss there ended up getting saved before my first year was up because I was able to shine, show them something different, and keep inviting her week after week after week and praying for her every day for about nine months before she came to church. And then um, she made lots of excuses. Eventually she came back a second time and she made a decision to make Jesus her Lord. And it's, it's crazy that our walk with God it should actually be key that launches us forward in life. One of the things, okay, the thing that Jesus said, this should mark you. If you're a Christian... This is what everyone should notice about you. They should notice that you love me by the way you love other people. John 13, 35. By this, they'll know that you're my disciples. By the way you love one another. He goes, this is what's supposed to mark you. One of the things that should mark us and is a, like a, uh, one of the first steps in people skills is valuing other people. Our society is insanely selfish. And it tries to make us selfish. Um, 
we have billions of dollars of industry solely focused on making you selfish and trying to make you discontent with yourself and with what you have. Because if you're happy and you're happy with what you have, you don't spend as much money. And so they're like, all right, how can I make you un discontent with what you have and with yourself so that you'll buy my products, so that you'll buy things to make your life better, buy things to try to make yourself better, and try... And there's it's billions upon billions of dollars, which also created a billion upon billions of dollar industry for depression meds as they work hard to make people miserable where they're at so that they'll try to spend more money. But valuing other people and getting our eyes off of ourselves doesn't necessarily come natural, especially in a world that's trying to make you selfish. But it, it will actually help you to stop thinking about you, and to start looking outward. Joseph is a great example of it done well and of it done wrong. If you go back to Joseph in the Old Testament, as a kid, he starts out with favor because, first off, he grows up in a messed up home. Dad has multiple wives. Anytime you got multiple wives, it's bad. Guys, if polygamy becomes legal, don't do it. It'd be bad, just bad. Just, okay, one wife, good idea. Wives, bad idea. So he's got wives, and then he has a favorite wife. And this is what we call drama and problems. And wife, not favorite, has lots of kids. Wife, favorite, does, has, ends up with two kids, then dies. Um, bad. So, um, but as, as the son of his favorite wife and the oldest son, there was lots of favoritism upon him. Yes, this is drama and messed up. But as he, as he grows, dad's giving him some opportunities, and the brothers are up mad because dad likes him more. And then one day, God's like, hey, I have a plan for Joseph, and gives Joseph a dream. He says, I'm gonna, in this dream, he sees things representing his family and sees them bowing down to him. And he's excited about himself. He's a normal young boy who's quite selfish. Selfishness doesn't need to be taught. It's just naturally ingrained in us from the moment that we're born. Um, I have, at least it's been 100% with my kids, um, that selfishness just came, and then you have to help them and correct them and teach them that the world is larger than themselves. Um, my nieces and nephews used to fight over imaginary food. Um, <laughs> yep. You're like, there's nothing there. She stole my cookie. I made another one. Oh, thank you. Oh, she took that one. You're like, it's imaginary. It's okay. Um, but as, as, as he comes, he has this dream. It says he goes to his brothers to tell them about the dream and how they're all going to bow down to him someday. It says, now Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. When we take the focus and try to make it about us, and when we show other people how awesome we are, it does not make them like us more. Um, in fact, normally, when we make the emphasis about how awesome we are, they like you less. Have you ever encountered someone who liked to brag a lot? Did you all of a sudden have lots of respect for them because they bragged? And because they had apparently accomplished everything ever in life that was ever cool or amazing? No, like you hang out with them and you're like, you are an arrogant jerk. I hope you get a job and move out of state. 
or country. Like, <laughs> you're like, be blessed somewhere far, far away. Maybe never, never land. But like, it, it just doesn't draw you to them. It does not produce warm fuzzies. It does not make you respect them. Yet somehow in our nature, there is this desire to be loved, this desire to be respected and honored that makes it come natural to try to show off to everybody our our accomplishments and our worth, and yet this very thing backfires. We fast forward in Joseph's life. He's had lots of ups and downs. It's a lot of fun. It's a crazy story. You can read it yourself. Uh, But we're just going to touch down in Genesis 40, verse 6. In Genesis 40, we find him in prison. Um, Life has been an adventure. In prison, when you have things rough, typical... Typically, when things are bad, you become more self-focused. Um, I've, I've noticed even myself, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, my, I have to work a lot harder to be loving and compassionate. When you're just like, I don't feel good. It's easy to forget that other people have problems too and to just get focused on yourself. Joseph is in prison. And he walks past two of the other guys in prison And it said that they were disturbed or troubled. He looks at two guys in prison and sees that they're sad and goes, came in the morning and saw that they were troubled and asked them what was wrong. You're like, who's walking around in prison going, hey, are you smiling today? That sounds awkward. Okay, um, are you smiling? Are you, how's your day going? I know, I know you're in prison. You have a lifetime sentence and you don't know if you're ever getting out of here, but how are you doing? Like, Really? Like, how do you notice when somebody else is, like, frowning in their cell? Because most people are like, I can't believe I'm stuck down here. And he's down there, not even justly. It's not even like he did something wrong. He did something right, and someone was mad at him, and so they lied about him and got him thrown in jail. And so he's down there, but even there, he has begun to turn. He's forgiven those who've wronged him and taken his focus off himself and onto others. When he does, he notices these two guys, and they're like, Sorry, man, we just had weird dreams. We didn't even have pizza. And he's like, well, hey, God, you know, the interpretation of dreams belong to God. Tell me what the dreams are. And the one guy tells him a dream, and he's like, you're going to get out of jail, and you're going to get promoted. And the other guy's like, sweet, this is my dream. He's like, you're going to die. Sorry. Um, you know, a couple days, Pharaoh's birthday, he's going to take your head off. Um, have a good day. <laughs> Oh, actually, he just at that point, he's like, hey, you're going to die. He turns to the other guy, when you get out, can you remember me? Um, but you don't need to talk to him. He's not going to remember anything. So he tells the one guy, remember me. This morning's actions changed his life forever. Because that, that guy went and forgot about him for two years. Not very nice. But in two years, Pharaoh, who was, is the ruler of Egypt, And at that point in time, Egypt was a superpower in the world. Goes, Pharaoh has a dream. It's like, who can interpret this dream? And he's like, hey, wait a second. This reminds me of the time when Pharaoh was angry at me and threw me in jail. And I met a man that can interpret dreams. Bring him. Joseph comes up, interprets a dream, and gets promoted to to second in command, being right underneath Pharaoh, which was like, made him like prime minister of the world's superpower at the time. Why? 
because he'd gone from examining and just staring at himself to looking at other people. You guys are going back to school. Um, and so I was like, why did you bring that back up? I'm sad now. Okay. Because a lot of people are sad. And you have an opportunity, not too different from his jail time experience. Um, <laughs> a lot of your schools do look like jails, just for the record. But the, you have an opportunity there going, am I going to look and stare at myself and how miserable and how I got stuck in this teacher's class that I don't like and how it stinks or, you know, or just go, well, hey, I'm back and I'm going to find my friends and I'm going to do my thing. Or to go, all right, can I look out because I know there are broken and hurting people in my school. Can I show God's love everywhere that I go? Because part of people skills is learning to look past yourself. Part of being a Christian is learning to show God's love everywhere you go and everything you do, including go to school. It goes, in that place, will people be able to see that you're a Christian? And some of you guys go, well, I don't have any influence at school. I don't have any friends at school. And it might be because you're homeschooled and so you're the only one in your school. But for the rest of you, um, like I, I know I've talked to people who are like, I just want someone to befriend me. I've tried and everyone rejects me, everyone mocks me, laughs at me, or everyone just kind of ignores me. Or I tried and they were nice, but then as soon as I stopped trying, so do they. And so I just sit over here at this table by myself. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. We're going to read from the New King James Version. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. The verse goes on, but that, that's a great lesson in and of itself. Because a lot of times we're waiting for someone else to befriend us. And I've talked to people who are all waiting for the other person to be nice to them. I think my favorite story of all times on this subject comes from my wife. She had a small group full of girls that were um, in a variety of stages in life, but a bunch of them were lonely and hurting. They'd come out of, they'd, they'd come through different things and changed and wanted new good godly friends. And they wanted to be friends with each other but everyone was afraid of getting rejected. And so she's like, oh, you guys should hang out. Like, yeah, we should hang out. And they keep talking about the fact that no one from small group wanted to hang out with them and how they were all alone and their small group wasn't friendly and how, you know, they, they'd talk there and at church, but they wouldn't actually hang out. And finally she's like, one day she called up one of the girls and was like, hey, what are you doing tonight? Nothing. She's like, Sue really wants to hang out with you. She does? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She calls up Sue. Hey, Sue, what are you doing tonight? Nothing. Great. Jill really wants to hang out with you. She does? Yeah, yeah. She wants to go call her. All right. Call her. Yeah, let's get together. We did this. And later they're like, oh, we had so much fun. Da, 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 da. And finally they're like, they found out that she like set them up on like a blind friend date. Like, what? <laughs> she did. Wow, but we had such a good time. I thought you wanted to hang. And it, it was this funny thing because they thought they wanted to hang out with each other. They, they've been wanting to, but everyone was too afraid that the other person might reject them, and so no one was willing to make the first move until she, like, awkwardly helped them each make the first move to be friends. Um, and then they became friends for years. But 
it just got me thinking, going, how often is that the case? I remember talking to my sister when she went to college. She went to Hillsong, and she's like, this sucks. She's like, I don't have any friends. So you got to be friendly. I just want them to be friendly to me. I'm sick of being friendly. <laughs> Fair enough, but if you want to make friends, you have to be friendly. If when someone walks up and is like, hey, you're like, hey. What's your name? Daniel. I'm Jeff. Nice. <laughs> What's going to go to? Homeschool. <laughs> Do you like it? Yeah. Are there any sports for homeschoolers? Yeah. Do you play any of them? Me. What does it mean? <laughs> and then they wonder why the person walks away. And they're like, see, nobody likes me. No, they like you. They just couldn't get you to say words. <laughs> but there are so many people in that place. I have sat down at tables at school and looked at multiple people in that place, lonely, broken, and hurting at the same table, but given like space, they got like a two-person cushion in between them to make sure that you realize that there's no one, that I'm not with them. They're like, we're not sitting together, we just, we're all at the loner table. Like, like how do you have like a loner table? Like, everyone has to sit, but you have to have a certain number of spaces. Or you like go to the theater and they've got like, this is the cushion seat, like you gotta like have a seat cushion in between you. And you're like, what, what is this? And... It, it shocks me because so much of life will come down to learning to relate to other people. So much of relating to other people is laid out in Scripture. And so much of it, I would say, really, all of it first hinges on Jesus' one command. Love God. Love people is how he defined it. If you just love people, because if you love God, you will love people because they are my people. You can't tell me, Pastor Daniel, I'm just, you know, can't tell me that you love me and hate my children. They're my children. If you hate my children, you have a problem with me. They're my children. You can't separate that. And God goes, you can't love God and not love my people. He says, if you say you love God and hate people, you're a liar. That doesn't mean that everyone has to be an extrovert. And they're like, oh no, I'm an introvert, I'm a liar. No, it's okay to be introverted by nature. But you need to be a loving introvert. You can charge when you're by yourself, but you still need to show God's love to people. And there are pl 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 plenty of other introverts that need God's love that I scare because I'm too extroverted. It's okay. They need people, they need different people, people that aren't like me, to show them God's love without scaring them away. They're like, no, he gets in my bubble. He's within six feet. And like, like you, you've watched it. And then there are people who just have no space bubble. That's awkward too. But that's another story. 
I've had them literally back me up across an entire room where they're like, they walk up and they're like this close. You're like, whoa, and you have bad breath. And you like, take a step back and they step forward. And you think, dead dude. And they don't seem to notice. Like, and then like, if you really want them to stop, and I've had this where I literally walked all the way across an auditorium, like slowly while they were talking because they kept just getting in my bubble. So you're just like, you're still talking to them. You just take a little step back. And finally, I ended up having, like ran out of room. So then you like put one foot forward like this and step back like this. And like, hopefully, they won't like step around my leg. Like, I can at least should have the bubble from my leg to my face. Like, come on, let. There are some finer arts to people skills on like not making them feel like you're trying to kiss them and things. Those are important. You know that that little bit of bubble space. But we can get into those another time. But for starters, learning to be interested in other people. Learning that trying to show other people how awesome you are turns them off. But if you'll get interested and just ask them questions about how awesome they are, they are their favorite subject. Most, in fact, a telephone company years ago did a, um, a test. I don't know, they'd probably get in trouble if they did this today. Uh, the New York Telephone Company made a detailed study of telephone conversations to find out which word is the most frequently used. You've guessed it is the personal pronoun, I. In their 500 telephone conversations, it was used 3,900 times. Because people are obsessed with themselves. If you'll be obsessed with them too, they'll like you. You want to have a great conversation with somebody? Just ask them lots of questions. If you'll just ask them questions, and an introvert can do this because they don't have to tell much about themselves. And so you just sit here, and instead of going, you know, I don't want to answer the questions about what school I go, you just go, oh, what school do you go to? And you start asking them questions, and most time, especially if they came up to you, then they're a little bit more extroverted. They'll say, oh, really, you want to talk about me? <laughs> yeah, what sports do you play? Oh, I play basketball. You any good? Oh, well, no, no, just like 20 points less season, less game. Less. And like... Oh, what position do you play? You just ask them questions, and they'll just go on and on. And by the time they're done, they're like, wow, you're awesome. You're, you're a great conversationalist. It was such a good conversation. And you're like, I didn't say anything. I just asked questions and listened and smiled and nodded. And they were thrilled. Um, but this is true at school. This will help people feel more welcome at church. This will help you with a job. Because when people see you and don't want to be near you, they don't want to pay you. When people all want to be near you, when they feel better about themselves because you, you were there, because you encourage them, because you're interested in them, because you, um, rather than just cutting them off to tell them how much better you are, rather than one-upping them all the time, you encourage them and tell them that it's awesome when they tell you awesome stories and different things and they want you to be around, then not only do you get paid for the things that you do, you get paid because they want you to stay there because the entire company's atmosphere goes up. I had a conversation with someone today about an apartment. Who, he, he said, where he worked in his department, he goes, it makes such a difference. We've had different people. He, in his time there, he's watched seven different people run the show. And he said, when, when the person in leadership, has good people skills, everybody performs better, the entire department 
performs at a much, much greater level. Paying this person several times as much money as you pay the other person is worthwhile because not only is it about what they get done, but the entire team gets more done because they're there. You all have the ability to be that kind of a person. That when you're there, people are encouraged, people are happier, people like their job because they get to work next to you, because they get to encounter you and you have a smile rather than coming in every day depressed about the weather. It's too cold. It's Michigan. I hate the winter. It's too hot. It's in the summer. Can't wait for it to be over. Leaves are falling. It's pretty. Yeah, but it means that winter's around the corner. Like, I have talked to people, and they're forever depressed about the weather. I'm like, you don't like any of the four seasons. Like, where would you possibly live that you'd be happy? You're like, in the summer, you cool your house to 65 and complain. In the winter, you heat it to 75 and complain. Like, there is no climate that you would actually like. But going through going, I will be someone that shows God's love everywhere that I go. I will help people, and I will show them what Jesus looks like. It's our, it's our mandate as a Christian, and it's just the best way to live. It has so many rewards as we honor God as I think it's self-rewarding because it's more fun to live happy and joyful and full of God's love than it is to live depressed. As well as, as it begins to affect you, it also affects where you work, how you work, how much you get paid to do the job that you do. But as I talk about showing God's love, it's very hard to show something that you don't have. If you don't have a relationship with God and you say, you know what, I want to know God. I want to know a God that wants the best for me, that loves me, that has a plan for me. I want to live for him, and I want to see his will done in my life. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to give you a chance to make him the Lord of your life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One, get ready. Two, three, raise up your hands nice and high. So that's me. I want to make Jesus my, my Lord. I want to live for him. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that I'm right with God, and I'm on my way to heaven. Awesome. God, I thank you for each and every person here that you help us, you strengthen us, you help us to show your love everywhere that we go, that we can have good people skills that honor, that honor you, that reflect your love for us and for other people, and that, you, that it brings favor everywhere that we go. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.